This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. This week on Enacting the Kingdom, Father Jeffrey and I will be chatting about godparents and the role that they play in the service of baptism and in the life of the newly baptized person. Father Jeffrey and I originally recorded this episode for our private community on Patreon back in early 2021, even before we knew we were going to do a series on baptism. As such, we're posting this episode exactly as it was heard on Patreon. Please consider this episode a little taster of the kind of exclusive episodes you'd get if you were a patron. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Enacting the Kingdom private podcast. You're listening to this because you've chosen to financially support this project. And Father Jeffrey and I are so grateful to have you as part of our Patreon community. As a show of our gratitude, please accept this Patreon-only episode as a special thank you. Good morning, Father Jeffrey, and welcome to our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. We really appreciate you. Today's episode, we are talking about being a godparent. Father Jeffrey, are you a godparent? I am, yes. Of one or more children or people or adults? <laughs> uh, a few. Uh, three. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I am a godparent of four or five. I should really know off the top of my head, shouldn't I? <laughs> you should have counted them before this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So maybe that's our first question is, is it a sin if you don't remember all of your godchildren, you know, at the, at the snap of a finger? Well, as we'll see, um, in case you end up marrying them later, or if any, if they marry anybody within your family, or anybody in your family marries anybody in their family, it could be a problem. So yes, do do keep track. <laughs> yes, there was. Uh, so when I was living in Winnipeg, I was attending Saint Nicholas, and uh, my godson who was baptized at the age of 22 it was named um wesley wesley not wesley wesley just wesley <laughs> just one wesley uh yeah, anything's possible in winnipeg <laughs> yeah I, I know well he's from winkler actually not even from winkler from plum Cooley, manitoba right yeah. <laughs> and um he was engaged uh they were either dating or engaged at the time to inga and she was from moldova Orthodox from Moldova, and they were asked to be godparents together uh, for a child. And, you know, it was still like a month or two out. And then there was a bit of a panic at one point because it was like, oh, wait, if we're godparents together, then we can't get married. <laughs> Because there's this like familial aspect that it would be considered like an incestuous wedding at that point. I'm afraid to say there are canons in the Russian church that say exactly that. That even if a husband and wife, an existing husband and wife, were to become godparents together, that they would thereafter have to live as brother and sister. Because oh, this is uh, this is bad news for me and Akila. Well, I'm saying that this is a canon probably more honored in the breach <laughs> than in the observance. Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, let's let's run with that. The reasoning behind that, though, because I think it does inform this discussion, right? That there is a kind of spiritual kinship that is greater, and that's what this canon is based on, than blood kinship. 
right? So we would be very careful. And I think we would not be forgetting, you know, who our blood relatives are, although there is, it's not impossible, right? That, you know, you lose track for various reasons, war and crises and whatever, you could lose track of where your blood relations have gone and inadvertently end up, you know, marrying them or somehow getting connected. But we have a a good sense, I think, that we're not going to marry brothers or sisters, and in a lot of cultures, um, not even first cousins. Although, you know, that that's not always and everywhere, you know, the case, and certainly not un- uncles and aunts and and, and so forth. Um, but you know, the the thrust of the thinking around sponsoring and godparenting in the Orthodox Church has always been that that creates a bond, not only between you know the the person who is sponsoring and the person sponsored, whether that's into baptism or marriage, which are the two kind of contexts in which this sponsoring takes place, but, you know, their entire families as well, you know, so that that creates from those two families uh, a a, a relationship that is even greater than blood. And therefore all the proscriptions uh, on, you know, further, marriage and, and things like that within, you know, those families would apply that you couldn't therefore create, you know, uh, marriage relationships out of what were already bonded together in a greater bond than, than blood. And, uh, you know, that, I think it's fascinating to, to think about that, you know, the, the anthropologists call this ritual kinship and it's, it's, it's not just in the Orthodox church, it exists in other cultures and, and, and so forth. And, um, for me, it's interesting not only because of you know this context of sponsorship and everything, but even the way we think about families uh, in the Orthodox Church, or should think about families, because you know part of what we've bought into is a, a very Western, very modern you know way of thinking of families in the first place. And I think it'd be interesting to unpack that as we go through this episode. So I grew up attending what we always called the um, the Kumi thing. The so. Kume would be uh, a word that Ukrainians use, but it, this word exists in other languages as well. Just so like but Kumbaros in exactly, Greek, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's the word that you use to describe. The only way I can say it in English is your God family. Yeah, <laughs> right. You have your God parents, your God children, right? You have your God family, and there's four families here in Ontario that we, we've all been each other's like godparents and godchildren. And so we get together every year around Christmas time for the Kume thing, um, our gathering. And it's very interesting because my relationships with some the people, my relationships with the people that are my age, right? The children. So it was my parents who then had children, and that's how it all how it all happened. My relationship with the children of this God family is functionally identical to like cousins. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I feel about it. That's the way that we interact with each other. It's it's a it's a familial thing. It's a cousins thing, um, which is very fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, this has been embedded in most Orthodox cultures for a considerable amount of time now. I mean, we're talking millennium or, or longer, and you know, it seems the more traditional or maybe rural and you know more you know to the land kind of. Um, you know, environment that people are in, the, the 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 more deeply this is lived. You know, you'll find this, you know, really present in in 
you know, old Greek villages or in you know, rural Ukraine or, or or wherever that this way of, of thinking and say it, it would you say it's, it'd be akin to you know cousins or whatever but probably even deeper you know there, there there's a a relationship forged that is you know goes beyond what is just kind of the accidental bond of of genetics and and blood and, and so forth and it's fascinating because I mean it's taken different you know, kinds of sociological forms, you know, through the years and everything. I mean, it, 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 the same way in the kind of the Western Middle Ages, you have family alliances that are set up for kind of dynastic reasons or strategic, you know, plays in terms of land and, and, and whatever. The same kinds of things, you know, take place in these little villages, but at a completely different socioeconomic level or whatever. You're always trying to kind of level up by linking yourself to maybe a slightly more influential family or, or, or whatever. So, I mean, above and beyond the spiritual considerations, which are not inconsiderable, right? Um, you know, about the, the idea of praying for and caring for and nurturing the faith of either a, a baptized child or indeed supporting a, a new, newly married couple through through wedding and marriage and so forth. There are all these other layers of of culture and sociology and and, and everything kind of built into the the whole system of ritual kinship. So, what are the prerequisites for being a godparent? Well, it's. I mean, you could ask the question in different ways. You could, you know, ask it in terms of the different cultural traditions that are at play. And I think probably the most elaborated one is the Greek uh, Orthodox tradition, uh, which has all kinds of rules and regulations, which you know you you ignore at your peril uh, if you're going to live. In, in a in a Greek community, but from a canonical point of view of of the you know the actual requirements of the the mystery of illumination of baptism, you need a sponsor. Now, so whether it doesn't matter what age somebody is, you know, renun- renouncing the devil and confirming or affirming their belief in Christ, entering into the church through catechumenate, then then baptism and chrismation and receiving the Eucharist, that person uh, is accompanied by a sponsor. And in the very earliest church, that was basically someone who vouched for you that you were doing this sincerely, authentically, genuinely. They, you know, the catechumenate in the earliest church required you to demonstrate something of the Christian life before you were baptized. In other words, a kind of commitment to live as a Christian. It wasn't just an intellectual thing. It was, you know, the sponsor was there to vouch for your way of living. You know, if you had been in an illicit relationship, you'd given that up. If you had robbed the poor, you had made restitution. You know, if if you had had some other kind of um, unchristian behavior, you had, you know, put that behind you. And so the sponsor was there to represent you to the bishop, to the church and say, yes, this person is sincerely committing to this. Now, in places where families were being received and their their children with them, uh, you know, obviously that took on a, a further role when it came to to children or infants who couldn't articulate you know their own faith and so the sponsor further was responsible for making that confession of faith on their behalf and pledging to make sure that they followed through I mean, remember none of the uh, sacraments in the orthodox church are magic they don't 
do anything unless you actually enter into the grace and live it out. You can lose your baptism and the, the grace of baptism. It's not, a, not an instant transfer into the kingdom that you can't lose. And so the sponsor takes on that further role of, of, of supporting, nurturing, praying for, for someone. And again, that, that's where this link, you know, that can't just be a one-off. That's not just you appeared for the, the service and then once a year thought about sending a card or a gift you had to be somehow integrated into that family because you had to be around in order to see that through, see that nurturing uh, spiritual development you know, through to its telos, which means for all time, right? So you can see not only are you being integrated into family, but you're playing a role that is you know, infinitely greater than what the bonds of blood would, would suggest. And so you know, from that you know, develops this whole culture of, of the, the kind of connection at a, at a kinship level and, and so forth. But you know, effectively, you know, the, the answer is you need one. And there's no real suggestion that that person has to be the same sex as you, although in different cultures that sort of came to the fore, although in, in a lot of traditional cultures, it was usually a man, regardless of whether the child was male or female. But um, you know, I think up to 80 percent of the time, uh, studies have shown. But in in principle, it could be of either sex. Uh, but there is a sort of tradition that uh, a male child entering the Orthodox Church will have a godfather, and a, a female child may have a godmother. But certainly, one is all that's needed. And so, you know, anything more than that would you know tend to be you would kind of sacramentally or liturgically go window dressing. Um, but, you know, it's not to say that there aren't times and places where people have done that. And then you get this whole thing of, well, is the, you know, the, the spouse of the godparent also a godparent? Um, in, if you were adhering to that canon that we referred to earlier, you would have to say no, um, although they may obviously play you know, a role also in that nurturing and prayer and so forth. But technically speaking, they wouldn't be one of the sponsors lest they fall into that trap of having to then live as brother and sister going forward. So I guess what happens then when, I, I guess that would be the way that you can have a non-Orthodox person be a godparent in that you would have, say, a man and a woman being the godparents of a new of a newborn, let's say the man is orthodox and the woman is i don't know baptist or something like in technically speaking there is only one godparent in the eyes of the orthodox church that's right and that's true even even of sponsors at weddings you know we're often we're accustomed to at least seeing you know a groomsman and a, and a maid of honor or whatever but we really only need one sponsor at a at a service of a holy mystery. And so that one person has to be Orthodox, has to be in not just Orthodox by culture, background, ethnicity, or anything like that, but a genuine believer and, you know, someone who's in full communion with the church is, is the requirement. I'm not saying that's always, you know, followed, but that is the whole point, because how could you act as both the one who is, you know, the vouching for the the fidelity and genuineness of the people coming forward to the sacrament, as well as taking on that 
role of of nurturing and praying you know for them as they try to live that sacrament out in their lives if, if you weren't actually a believer yourself so it's not only unorthodox but it has to be unorthodox who is in full communion and and hopefully a, a very committed member you know of the church but that is all you need and so when you see a wedding party of you know four on one side and four on the other or more you know, the, they're there for show. It's often by Im- imitation of, of things people have seen in films um, or elsewhere. And, you know, and that's fine, you know, and, and, and we can we can run with that. But, you know, whether it's godparents for, for a child or, or sponsors at a wedding, wedding party, you know, we really just need that one canonical, you know, commitment from someone to, to say they are undertaking together and on behalf of uh, the person or couple that they are going to support this this sacrament. So I have one godson whom I have fallen out of contact with, right? So uh, this was somebody when I was living in Winnipeg, uh, I was probably about 20 when I became his godfather. And just through the you know through the courses of time moving and distance and our church closed down there the mission and yeah it's been probably a couple of years since i've i've had any connection there what would be your guidance i guess in in a situation like this i mean i don't know about the ins and outs of uh, of the particular situation but in cases you know like this i would say it it's important, you know, as much as it would be with, or even more though, than it would be with any, you know, blood family member. When I hear about somebody who, who has lost contact with a sibling, you know, or a parent even, you know, there's there's a degree of sadness there. Now, I completely understand there are a lot of circumstances in which it becomes difficult, you know, for one reason or another to, to maintain, you know, a regular contact, you know, with people. People don't always make it easy to to stay connected, you know, to them. Um, you know, misunderstandings, you know, crop up and and so forth. So it, it's there's a real sadness, I think, where that relationship, you know, isn't functioning the way it's supposed to be. What I would say is it, it, at the very least, we need to commit ourselves to praying, you know, for, for people in situations, you know, like that. If we find ourselves you know, uh, somehow isolated from or alienated from family members, you know, we should be just all the more undertaking to pray for those people. It may, it may not be anything within our immediate control to do anything about it, although we could make overtures through the years. Uh, those will be rebuffed or ignored. And so the very least we need to do is just keep loving and keep supporting and and everything. And, and you know, God knows we can only do what we can do. And, you know, I would say it's not, not all is lost. You know, there is a, there is to some extent a once and done aspect, you know, to, to this. I mean, the, the sacraments did take place that we were sponsors at and hopefully through our prayer and, and support, even at a distance, you know, that can be lived out. It's not, necessarily that the the whole thing is lost because of that severed relationship or, or whatever but but it should be sad uh, as it would be if, if we lost touch with or you know broke relationship with with anybody but um 
But I'd say spiritually, that you have to understand that relationship is still there, and it's at an even deeper level than than blood and genetics and and so forth. And we will be asked about it. We will be called to account, you know, for these things. There's there's no doubt, you know, about that. And if there's anything that we've done that has contributed to that or made it worse, then you know we we can expect to be called out on it. Now, I know of a situation in which there have been two godparents for a child and one of the godparents uh, leaves the Orthodox church for another Christian church. How does, what does that mean? Like, how does that work? What's going on there? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the flip side of what we were just mentioning in a way, right? So um, the, the, the kinship is established, you know, in both directions. So the person in that case who, who, whose sponsor, you know, has left the church also has a responsibility to uh, maintain the, the the spiritual kinship, the the deep relationship, you know, that's there. And, and in a weird reversal, maybe they're the one who need to be praying for the spiritual development and nurturing, you know, of the other. Now, just saying someone's stopped being Orthodox and has joined an, another church doesn't in and of itself mean that they've gone further away from Christ. Actually, there's there are people who live out a very nominal orthodoxy, discover, you know, a relationship with Jesus in another context. And, and, and maybe that's actually a positive move on one level. You know, I'm not saying affiliating ourselves outside of the Orthodox Church is a good idea. I'm just saying it, I wouldn't necessarily read into that uh, a step away, you know, from, from Christ, but but certainly something has been broken. The communion of, um, of, of faith and of sacraments between those two who are who share that that deep spiritual kinship has been broken, and so there's something to lament and, and to to work through there. But there, they say there's kind of a reversal. The one sponsored gets to pray for the development and and growth of the other in a way that maybe was expected only to work in one direction. But it maybe raises the point that actually that's not the case, right? It is a genuine kinship that's established, and so we should care for one another. Hopefully none of us who were sponsored you know, into our sacraments just simply assume we're the recipients of the prayers of the other. We should equally be caring you know for them they are real human beings too we haven't chosen already glorified saints as our sponsors although we have them as patrons and and maybe you know our, our named um you know saints names and so forth that, that we carry it's a bit of a different category right um we don't necessarily pray for them in the same way that they're praying for us but i think with a sponsor and a sponsored there is a chance for that to be a little bit more mutual and you know, maybe it's not evident in an infant but as that child grows up they can certainly support each other through through love and prayer and encouraging them to to grow within the the fold of the orthodox church did you mention at the beginning that you actually did a wedding for one of your godchildren no or was i reading into something you said maybe you're reading into something i said oh, okay gotcha well you know maybe one day maybe yeah, that Maybe. would be marvelous. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, they're knowing the limitations on who they can marry, you know, that, that's that's always yep. tricky. I mean, there are some Orthodox, you know, parishes that are out there that maybe aren't all that that big. Um, even if they are big, I mean, where you know everybody is everybody else's sponsor, well, it creates difficulties because the children growing up maybe get to know each other and think, oh, you know, that would make a nice 
partner <laughs> for life, except they're already related <laughs> in 12 different directions mm-hmm. because of the look different- Look the other way, look yeah, the other way. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I, here's the kind of point I wanted to get to earlier, and I hope you might anticipate it. There's, there's part of us that says, you know, in 21st century Canada, what does it really matter anyway? You know, the the real prohibition here is about, you know, the genetic one. You know, we don't marry our brothers and sisters or aunts and uncles because of the possibility of genetic abnormalities and so forth, right? I mean, that's clearly where the prohibition lies. Spiritual kinship or no, you know, there's no harm, you know, in doing this. And we've diminished you know, this over time, uh, it's lived in a, in a really powerful way still in, in, in particularly first generation immigrant communities and so forth. And I mean, I said, the Greeks have ramped this up to a, you know, a very high degree. I mean, the, the, the one you choose as your wedding sponsor, your main wedding sponsor gets the right to baptize your first child and name your first child and also appoint all the other sponsors for your children and so forth in the kind of fullest tradition. So it's a really, you know, it's a, it's a fraught decision choosing that person and everything. So we've gone from that to really diminishing it, you know, altogether. And I think part of the reason for that is actually a really complicated and, and pervasive thing that's happened. And that is that what has emerged you know, post-industrial revolution, not even just post-modernity or in the modern period, but in post-industrial revolution is that we've withdrawn into what we cheerfully now call the nuclear family. Um, And that is the principal building block, you know, of our society, individual homes, right? Which creates creates a housing crisis, uh, no no question about it, and indentures people, as we've spoken of in earlier episodes, to servitude, Mm -hmm. to mortgages and everything. But you have to live in your nuclear family. That's the fundamental building block. And notice how much even so-called traditional Christianity orients itself around that defense of the family, right? And, and, and preserving, you know, that thing. Well, there's nothing traditional about that, actually. Until the Industrial Revolution, the idea that, you know, the parents with the children lived on their own, separate from anybody else, that that was their fundamental relationship in the world, you know, was unheard of. You know, that's, it's, you lived in multi-generational extended families and families that were extended by these kinds of spiritual and ritual kinships that were established that were even more powerful than, than the blood bonds. And, and that meant that there were things like friendship that you committed yourself to and, and these kinds of relationships that, that were beyond the nuclear family that, that governed your whole life. You were committed to people outside of of this kind of very strange post-industrial revolution individual family unit you know thing so ritual kinship and spiritual kinship factors in to all of that and we also had and, and i mean it's still extant and and was practiced in the 20th century the the orthodox service of embrotherment you know adelpho uh, pieces which was making you know where, where you weren't actually doing this because it was done through baptism or marriage you could actually choose another and become a family member with them in in the in the sense that we would understand become kin with them become co-strugglers whether you were two soldiers or two monks or just two lay people or or whatever and that was blessed by the church including with crowns and with the kind of circling the table and and everything and it's just so foreign to our way of thinking because you sort of think well was that a marriage? You know, what's that about? Is that is that all about sex? Um, because we've located everything in this one very narrow category. Now we don't have the imagination to even sense that people can have these deep, 
abiding relationships because of sacraments of the church, because of choice, because of friendship, because of all of these other categories that we've, we've just simply lost. We've, we've narrowed our focus so much down to the defense of the nuclear family that we are in this really horrible, you know, sociological, you know, situation. And guess what? You know, a pandemic comes along and you're stuck with that nuclear family. And then people are sort of saying, well, hang on a minute. Isn't there more to life than this? You know, wh wh why am I, you know, kind of lumbered with this, you know, as a burden? Why am I living on my own? Should, shouldn't I have been living in a kind of micro community that involved different generations? You know, we've shunted our old people off to long-term care and then they suffer all the more, you know, because of their isolation and separation, you know, from us. And, and we're trying to live on our own and, and afford the mortgage in our individual family house. And we're, we're separated from our, our spiritual kin with whom we should have even a greater contact than our own blood and so forth. And so we've based our whole society around a false idea of who we should be close to. And I think it's, it's our, our loss, really. I guess to take us to the end today, we have about three and a half minutes. The question that I have is, what does the relationship of godparent and godchild, what does that kind of relationship have that our regular Canadian society doesn't have right what what does this kind of relationship offer that you might not be able to get outside of the, uh, the church here in in canada right well I, I think it's permanence if i were to choose one word right you can't undo this uh it's in the same way that we should still be thinking of marriage and i think we're probably going a long way towards making marriage just a temporary thing as well with our, our way that we think about it but it, you know at least in our living memory there is an understanding that marriage is until death do us part you know or at least in the orthodox understanding you know unto the ages and so forth that it's not easily unknit you know what god has brought together no man can 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 um, you know pull asunder well that's the case you know, when it comes to these kinds of, of relationships, we should take it that seriously. You wouldn't just, you know, arbitrarily choose a spouse. I hope um, maybe more people are doing that today, which is you know part of the problem. But you know, we do maybe layer the decision of of godparenthood or sponsoring, you know, whether it's at marriage or, or baptism, to just. A whole lot of other considerations you know who's my friend this year you know or who do i you know who do i not want to offend because i don't want to leave them out their family member or whatever and so that's why you get proposals for sponsors who who aren't necessarily committed orthodox christians who don't necessarily profess the faith but but you know we owe it to this sister or to this brother or to this whoever family friend you know uh, because of whatever and you know, we're, we're free to do that because we don't actually think of it as a proper permanent relationship the way we would if we were getting married. But yet we're saying it creates that kind of deep abiding bond. And so it should be taken, you know, that, that seriously. Well, where else do you find those kinds of deep permanent bonds in our world? You don't. I mean, friendship is a matter of a click in a social media platform or an unclick, right? Uh, how many people, you know, just in the course of the, you know, 
pandemic and American political situation have unfriended each other, right? I mean, imagine that. I mean, to, to, to somebody before our, our, our very, very contemporary understanding of friendship, the idea that you could click and unfriend somebody was just unthinkable. A friend was somebody you died for, right? And you wouldn't think twice about dying for. And if you read, you know, even romantic, uh, you know, Victorian poetry about friendship, it, it tells you that it wasn't that long ago that even in the Christian West, that that understanding of friendship, you know, was there. And nobody would have known what you were talking about when you talk, when you, you spoke about friendship on, on Facebook or whatever, in those kind of transitory, you know, on off terms. It was just, it's just not something you chose. So the way you felt fated to, I mean, not that we believe in fate, but I mean, that, that there's something that draws you towards your wife or to your husband. You were drawn to your deep friends. And we now misread that. Of course, we layer that with all kinds of eroticism that wasn't there. But, you know, that's just how friendship was. And so where else are you going to find that other than in this kind of ritual or spiritual kinship that we we still embody within the Orthodox Church? Maybe we need to recapture that. And in and through that, maybe we can recapture what it means to be, to have, you know, philia or friendship, which is one of the most profound experiences of love that you can have as a human being. We've we've kind of lost that. We, we keep Agape, we sort of think of God's love and that self-sacrificial love, ultimate love and everything. We've, we've kept eros, that desire and, and, and so forth. Storgia, the, the love of, of kind of connection and, and blood and, and, and so forth. Uh, but the philia has been lost. I don't know that it really exists in our society anymore. And maybe this is a way of, of reestablishing the spiritual underpinnings of it. If we can recapture Godparenthood sponsoring in the Orthodox Church in a proper theological framework. Thanks so much, Father Jeffrey. This is really good. And thank you to our patrons. And I'm hoping our you're friends. enjoying our <laughs> Yes, our friends. Not just our patrons, our friends. Um, I no longer call you patrons, but I call you friends. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, everybody. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Well, that does it for another episode of the private podcast of Enacting the Kingdom. Thank you again for all your support. Please feel free to comment with any follow-up thoughts or questions. Father Jeffrey and I read them all. Looking forward to having you back soon. 